Praise the Lord. I want to open our Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And, and um, I want to talk to you about the, something that, that many of you, like if you've been here for a lot of years, this is something you've heard. And it's something we need to hear again and again and again. Um, as a believer, as a new believer, as a mature believer, wherever you're at, you need to hear this. Because we need to never grow into this stagnant place where we're coming and we're receiving the word of the Lord, or you're getting up in the morning and you're cracking your Bible open, you're receiving what God has to say to you without any expectation that it's going to do something in your life. When you pick up your Bible, it is not a religious exercise, so you can check that off and say, God, I did it. When you pick that up, you are fellowshipping with God. You are communing with a living God. God is speaking to you. And when God speaks, things happen. Right? We all know how the world was created by God speaking. The universe was set into motion by God speaking. When he spoke, things happened. And you know what? We, we learn that, that the universe is still in a constant state of expansion. It hasn't stopped. When God said begin, he didn't say end. And so, you know, his creative force is still, is still stretching out. How he does it, I don't even know. But this is amazing. And when he does that in us, something is created. You know, the way you were born again, think about how you were saved. Think about what we believe. Like you're here either because you're seeking God or you've already put your faith in God. And that faith in God, what the, the reason, the one thing that binds us all together is that we believe that God took a dead, spiritually dead person, like me, like you, and he made us alive together in Christ Jesus. He saved us. Now, how did we receive that? Like, was there, was there a special sauce that had to be put on your head? Was there a special certificate that had to be signed? Was there, was there a legal court case that had to be done? No, what happened was, was that you believed, you heard the word, yeah. right? And when, when we hear that uh, in Romans 10, one of the most famous chapters in the Bible when it comes to salvation, Romans 10, the, the writer says, Paul says, we believed, therefore we spoke. He says, this is the word of faith that we are preaching and he tells you it's the gospel, that if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. No, he's talking about the word that went forth. He said, we believe, therefore we spoke. And he said, you received that word. And the Bible says that faith comes when we hear God's word. And it was by faith that we were saved. It was, it was a, a belief that came. You know, you might have thought, well, I believed it because it was well presented, or I believed it because it made sense to me. And if that's true, that's good, but that's not how you were saved. You know, the Bible says we were not saved by the will of man. We weren't saved by a good argument. If you could be argued into heaven, you could be argued out of heaven. We weren't saved into the kingdom of God by a good argument. We were saved by the power of God. And so the faith that you had to be saved, God gave you that faith. You didn't have it. It was a gift of God. God gave you faith to believe. When you heard, it created something in you. And that's the same force that created everything that we see around us. And so when we believe that, we come with an expectation that, God, if you're going to speak, something's going to happen. Things are going to be created. Something's going to move. Something's going to change. And, and I've been a believer for most of my life. And to this day, I still come with an expectation, Lord, if you're going to speak, something's going to change. 
because you never speak without something happening. Now, whether it happens in my life has a little bit to do with me, sometimes a lot. Because Jesus went to his own hometown and they would not believe in him. They had no honor for him because he was, they knew him when he was a kid. They, they didn't think anything special could come out of their town, so they didn't honor him. And they were full of unbelief, the scripture says. They didn't have any belief that he could do what he said he did or was who he said he was. And so the Bible says he could do no mighty work among them except for heal a few sick people. But he wanted to do more and he couldn't because of their lack of faith, because of their unbelief. So it has something to do with us, doesn't it? I mean, we're talking about the disciples trying to cast a demon out of a kid, and they'd done it many times before. They couldn't do it this time. Jesus comes down the mountain and says to them, hey, what's going on? They explain it, and he says, it's because of the smallness of your faith. Nobody wants to hear that. What, it's my fault? Now, Jesus doesn't say every time something doesn't turn out like you think it should, it's because you don't have enough faith. He doesn't say every time your prayer is not answered right away, it's because you don't have faith. He doesn't say that's every time the reason, right? Some people get off on the other ditch and they go, well, if your prayer didn't come to pass, you must not have had enough faith. That's not what the Bible says. But we know without faith, you're, you're wasting your time. If you don't have any belief that God's doing it, if you don't have any expectation of him, if you don't believe what he says, we're, we're not even off the starting line, Right? So here's what it says in the, in the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 13. He's speaking about love, and I'm going to use love. This, this message today is not really about love, but I'm going to use love as the starting point, love as the, as the example of, of what we're talking about. In 1 Corinthians 13, he's, he's been talking about the gifts in the church and how everybody's got a part to play. And in chapter 14, he's going to talk about more about spiritual gifts and and the Holy Spirit working in the church. And in right in the middle of these two chapters, he's going to tell you how these gifts work. They work by love. And how they have no point if there's no love. So 1 Corinthians 13, he tells us, and we're going to go to verse 4. If love is patient, love is kind. Love is not jealous. Love does not brag. It's not arrogant. It does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It's not provoked. It doesn't take into account a wrong suffered does not rejoice in unrighteousness. It rejoices with the truth. It bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. When you read that, do you feel like that's a, a good representation of your life? And I think anybody in the room might say, well, it's a mix, right? Like, yeah, sometimes. I'd like to always be that way. I'd like to say I never take into account a wrong suffered against me. I never, what take into account means I don't keep, uh, I, I don't keep a record. I'm not storing up these arrows for a future fight. You know what I mean? You know how sometimes you let something go, but you didn't really let it go? Yeah. I'm saving it for later. I'm going to win an argument so hard. Right? We don't do that anymore, do we, Tia? Never. No, that's, I mean, when you do that, that's how an argument over a sponge becomes World War III. Because you've saved all these arrows from past battles. You just, just waited for a more opportune time. Well, love doesn't do that. Now, we read this chapter a lot at weddings because weddings are about love, right? But this chapter is not just about married people. In fact, it doesn't mention married people once. It's actually talking about the church. If it's true for the church, it certainly is true for your marriage. But listen, this is not a romantic love we're talking about. This is the love of God. And so this... 
When he says all these things, if these seem like way out there aspirations, I'll never be there. Why would I mean that's just the ideal, but that's not realistic. Then you are you're discounting the power of God and his word and his power to pour out his love in your life. The reason Paul is describing love to you is so that you can see it and you can say if that's what love is and if the Holy Spirit put God's love in my heart, then that should be and can be my life. I can live like that. We could all sit in the chairs today and go, no, no, maybe somebody else could. And if that's the case, I want to ask you again, how did you get saved? Did you get saved by being a better person than everybody else? Did you, did you get saved by just believing a little harder than everybody else or praying a little bit better? No, you got saved purely by the work of God. It was the power of God that saved you. Your part was to believe. It didn't go much further than that. You, your part was to confess him as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You believed in God. You put your faith in Jesus. You put your trust in his work, not in your work, but in his. And that saved your life. That saved your soul. That put you, took you out of death and into life. Now, if God is able to do that, isn't he able to do this? Yes. Can't you look at this and say, that's me? And it may not, you, you, you know, sometimes when we read that and say, you know, if I were to say everybody in the room that identifies with this and says, this is your life, raise your hand. Well, we'd be intimidated because we'd say, well, that sounds arrogant. And love is not arrogant. So now I'm in this weird cycle. It's not arrogant to believe God. It's not arrogant to trust God because he's not saying good people don't do this. He's not saying nice people do live life this way. He says, this is what love looks like, and this is the love God gave you, and this is the way you can live. So what happens when I read 1 Corinthians 13 is I look at these things, and I go, i got to make a choice. Because every time, there's plenty of times in my life where I don't want to bear all things. I don't want to believe all things. I don't want to hope all things. I don't want to endure all things. And so I have a choice. Will I go with how I feel, which is I'm going to keep a record of this. I'm not going to be patient. I don't feel like being kind. You weren't kind to me. Isn't that the cycle we pass on throughout our culture? I'll be kind to you if you're kind to me, but you started it, right? How many times do we say, well, I, you don't know the day I've been through. You don't even know what I'm doing. So, so if, if you're not kind to me, I don't have to be kind back to you. I'll give what I get. That's what we say, but that's not what Jesus did. If Jesus did that, we'd all be dead. We'd all be dead. It would be the end of the story. He didn't do that. And so we get to follow in his footsteps. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So there's going to be a point in my life, could be tomorrow, when I don't want to bear all things. I don't want to endure all things. I don't even think I have the capacity to do it. But I look in the word of God and I go, you said I could. You said your love's in me. And you said that's what your love looks like. So I'm going to choose to hope. And in my choice to hope, because love hopes, in my choice to walk in hope, in my choice to walk in faith, in my choice to be patient, in my choice to be kind, I make the choice and God backs it up with his power. When someone comes up for prayer and we trust that God can do a miracle today, we know God's going to do it, but a human being has to step into that place where we're saying, God, use me. As I put my hand on my friend here and I speak your word, life's going to come. God didn't force your hand. God didn't 
use you like a puppet and make you, you had to choose to put yourself in a place to let the power of God flow through your life. It's the same way when we look in his word, we are believing, we're putting faith in his word, in his life, in his truth. He said it. We sang it this morning. I'll take you at your word. I'm going to believe it, right? You're good on your promise. You're going to back this up. My job is to say yes. My job is to trust. And in trust, in faith, I make a movement. I make a motion. I'm like Peter. I use this example all the time. I'm like Peter swinging his leg over the boat, jumping on the water, going, this better work. It's the power of God that made him walk on water. But it was Peter's will that put him in the position where he could walk on water. He had to get out of the boat. Jesus didn't say, throw him over, boys. Just grab him, two of you. Just chuck him into the water. Watch this, Peter. You're going to walk on the water with your face first. That's going to be the first thing that's going to walk on the water. No, Peter had to choose. Okay, Lord, if you say, I'll do. And so he says here, love never fails. And then he goes on and he tells you, uh, well, let's keep reading. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they'll be done away. When's he talking about? He's talking about when we see Jesus face to face, when all this is done, we step into eternity. You won't need prophecy. Why? He tells us they'll be done away. There are tongues they will cease. If there's knowledge, it'll be done away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child. When I was, I used to think like a child, reason like a child. But when I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now we know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I have also been fully known. So what's he talking about? He's not talking about tongues and prophecy and knowledge and all those things being done away with in this lifetime. Because you don't know everything yet in this lifetime, and you won't. But he says when we go to see Jesus, when we receive that full, that fulfillment of our adoption, when we have that new body, when we have that new reality, we will see him face to face. We will know fully as we are known. So if you think this has passed away, guys, then ask yourself, do you know everything yet? All right, then it's not done yet. Has the perfect become perfect? Are you living in a perfect world yet? No. Okay, so we're still not there yet. We still need this. But then here's what he says. Now, these three things remain. Faith, hope, love abide these three. But the greatest of these is love. So he puts the the biggest three um, elements together. Faith, hope, and love. And he puts love at the top of it. So what happens when you read that? Faith, hope, and love. These, These things are left. These are the big things in life. Faith, hope, and love. When you read that... What do you do with that verse? You just go, oh, that's cool. I'm glad. Sounds nice. Has a nice ring to it. I think I saw that in my grandma's kitchen, faith, hope, and love. You know, that's nice. <laughs> what am I supposed to do with that? I, I, they're important. Okay, all right. Well, that's great. When you, say, when you see God's word say, well, faith, hope, and love, these things are going to remain out of everything. Those are, the, those are three building blocks for everything else, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest building block, the greatest thing is love. And that's going to endure, and that will remain even when all the other stuff passes away. There'll still be love. He says, these three things remain faith, hope, and love. When I read that, how do I look at that? I want those things in my life. I want faith in my life. I want hope in my life. I want love in my life. Well, how do I get there? Because we're not talking, once again, faith is a gift. Hope is a gift. Love is a gift. These aren't things you can work up. It's not something you can take a university course on and just suddenly have. It has to come from God. 
We're talking about eternal things, right? There is an earthly hope, but it fades. That's why Abraham hoped against hope. His divine hope pushed against his earthly hope. Because his earthly hope says, you fool, you're way too old to have kids, and you couldn't even have kids when you were young enough to have them. So why are you believing God when he says you're going to have a son, and you're in your 90s? That's crazy. And hope against hope, he believed. Well, there's a heavenly hope. There's a faith that goes beyond just mere trust. There is a love that goes deeper than just your familial love, or your romantic love, or your love of friendship. There's a love that comes from God. When I read this, I go, okay, well, how do I have this? And I want you to turn to 1 Thessalonians with me. If you're struggling where to find it, it's right before 2 Thessalonians. <laughs> also, your table of contents. Don't ever be ashamed to use your table of contents in church. Nobody judges you for that. But now everybody's looking on their phone just quick. Everybody turns to Micah really fast because they have their phone, but in 1 Thessalonians, I want you to read this with me, and we're going to start verse 2. We give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith, your labor of love. In your steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the presence of our God and Father, knowing, brethren, beloved by God, is choice of you. For our gospel did not come to you in word only. Hear that. The gospel was not just words. It came in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Hear that. So when you hear... A TED talk or you hear somebody give a video on YouTube or you hear the news anchor or you hear a politician those are words that mean something they might have some backing they might not but Paul said when we preached the word there was more to it because it wasn't just our words there was something else in it and he said when we preached the word we didn't just preach it with words it wasn't just merely human words it came in power and that coming in power yes Number one, we know that, that, that the Bible says, Jesus said, that signs and, signs and wonders will follow the preaching of the word. We know there were miracles. We know there were signs and wonders. But the power he's talking about here is the power for that word to penetrate a heart, that power for a word to transform a life, that when someone would hear it, the power of God was on that word to take them out of death and into life, to take them out of hopelessness and into hope, to take them out of despair and into joy, that something happened when that word was preached it came in power it came in the Holy Spirit and it came with full conviction what's conviction a lot of times in modern Christianity we only use the word conviction to talk about a negative feeling and and sure enough there's a conviction in your heart that this is wrong I shouldn't do this anymore I, I need to turn to righteousness absolutely because when God gave you his righteousness he gave you a conviction of righteousness you know what's right and what's wrong according to the word of God and now that you're a new creation you don't feel good doing what you used to do anymore but the word conviction is more than that the word conviction means to fully be convinced of something to be fully convinced 
That's a conviction. How many of you can say, I hold, a, I hold certain convictions in my heart? I hold this conviction. What that means is there are things in me that I know are true. You can't convince me otherwise. I am fully, there's a full conviction of this. I am fully convinced of it. So the word came in power. The word came in the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit's on the word. Man, isn't that awesome? The Bible says that all things were created through the word of God. Do you remember in Genesis 1? It says when the Holy Spirit, it says the, the earth was, there was nothing, the world was nothingness and void. It was just darkness. And the Holy Spirit was hovering over the surface of the deep. And then God spoke and his word ignited creation to existence. His word, the Holy Spirit was already there. The Holy Spirit was already present. He spoke his word. And like a chemical reaction, life exploded. Why do you think it's so important that we have a prayer team praying before every service? Why do you think it's so important that we spend time magnifying the Lord and, and lifting him up? Because by the time, because not only because he deserves it. First of all, he deserves it. We came to worship. Amen. But one of the great things that comes from that is by the time I get up and preach the word, there's a presence of the Holy Spirit that's already here hovering over the people, preparing your heart. That when the word of God is preached, creation comes. Something comes. You may say, man, he, you know, you could say, well, he, he, man, he preached that good or he didn't preach that so good. And you might judge that's why it has an effect or it doesn't have an effect. But I'll tell you, I have heard really, really boring preachers that changed my life. I've heard people that weren't my style change my life. Because it wasn't the way they presented it. It was the power of the Holy Spirit. It was, the, it was the demonstration of power. It was the conviction behind it. It was, it, was, it was that hitting me in the power of the Holy Spirit. And it didn't matter whether or not they, that, that was my style of preaching. It didn't matter or not whether they were funny or serious. It just mattered that it came in the Holy Spirit and it changed my life. So he says here that that word produced three things. Look, back in verse 3, it, it produced a work of faith. That word work just means an action, okay? An act of faith. So you guys know that faith without works, faith without action is dead. If you just believe something but it never moves you to do anything, you don't believe it as much as you think you believe it, right? When you really believe something, it'll move you to action. Always. So faith produces action in your life. Do you ever feel like super just, just, like, I feel like I'm never getting anything done. I just feel like I, I can't do anything for the Lord. There's an action of faith. That's, that's acting on the word of God. That's when the word of God becomes so real to you that you go, if that's true, it can be true in my life. If that's true, I can do that. If that's right, I, if God said it, I'll do it. By faith, Hebrews 11 says, Abraham did. Noah did. Moses did. Rahab did. By faith, Deborah did. All of these people did something by faith. It doesn't say just by faith they sat at home and thought about how great it would be if they did something. By faith, it moved them. It moved them to action. So faith comes by hearing the word of God, and it moves us, right? So he says, I'm celebrating the work that came out of your life, the action that came out of your life when you believed. I am celebrating the labor of love. That word labor means toil, work that you don't like to do. 
And he's saying, I saw it in your life. Love produced work. Love produced labor. Love caused you to do things you wouldn't have done before. And everybody here knows that. When you love somebody, you do things you don't want to do. Before we had a baby, I didn't go, man, I would love to change a diaper. I just want to change a diaper. No, I never wanted to do any of that. But when you love your kid, you, you of course, do that. When you love your wife, you, of course, do these things. Because you, that love will produce work, and it's, it just doesn't even seem like it's not work that you're complaining about. It's not work that you're mad about. It's your joy to do it because you love. And in the body of Christ, isn't it wonderful when we see people lay their life down for each other because they love each other? Isn't it wonderful to see people do things that they never would have done before because of love? He said, love is producing a labor. And he says, hope is producing steadfastness or perseverance. The word produced faith. The word produced hope. The word produced love. But then faith produced something. Hope produced something. Love produced something. None of these things happen in a vacuum. None of these things just happen because you were born with that nature. These things all happen because God's working in your life, and it starts with his word. Look later on in the same chapter, well, sorry, in the next chapter. He says this in, in, in 1 Thessalonians 2. For this reason we constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men. In other words, not the word from just humans, but for what it really is. Look at that phrase. What it really is. We're talking about what God's word really is. Not a sermon. Not a message. Not a, not a talk. God's word is his living word. He's speaking it right now. Amen. And he uses you and he uses me. And when we speak the word of God, he's speaking through us. And he says, "You, we are thanking God. That you received the word of God, which you heard from us. You didn't accept it as a word from men. Here's the worst thing we could do. The worst thing we could do is sit, like if you lived in this day, you were part of the Thessalonian church, and you heard Paul speak, and if you just sat there and go, Paul might be right. I think Paul's got good points. I think Paul's a pretty good preacher. Maybe he's a good leader. Maybe we should follow him. If you just put all the weight on Paul, that's going to crumble. But when you said, now, God's using this guy, but this is God. Yeah. Not Paul's not God. They didn't point at Paul and go, that's God. Because the one time people did that, Paul got really ticked off about it, ripped his clothes, said, please stop. I've never been so mad in a sermon I had to rip my clothes. I don't think I would. <laughs> I don't think I even could rip this thing. Trust me, you're safe. I'll never try it. Don't worry. But Paul got so, like, distraught. He said, we're not gods. We're not a god. I'm not God. There's only one God. But they didn't say, you're God, but they said, this is God speaking through us through this guy. If you can recognize that, if you can recognize that when John read that verse from Proverbs to us, that passage from Proverbs, God is using John to minister that word to me. And if I'll receive it, you can say, well, John hasn't convinced me yet, or you can say, the word of God spoke to me. Do I believe God or do I not? John didn't get up and say, here are five reasons I think it's a good idea. He read to you what God said about it. And you get to believe whether you believe God or not. That's the fun part about it. Do I believe God? It's not about the messenger. It's about the message from God. 
And here he says, we're thanking God. So they actually had times of prayer. Do you think that Paul's lying here? Do you think he actually thanked God about it? He said, we constantly thank God. Constantly. This must have been a big deal for him to keep going back and thanking God about it. How many things in your life do you constantly thank God about? Anything? I'm not asking you to say it out loud, but yeah, Tina's got some. Are there things that you constantly thank God? This was one that Paul constantly thanked God about. It must have been a big deal. He constantly thanked God. So he just imagine Paul praying in his room and just saying, thank you, Lord, that they didn't hear my words as my words. They heard your voice speaking through me. Thank God that even though I'm limited, even though I got my flaws as a speaker, because Paul said sometimes he came with a stammering tongue. He didn't come with fancy words. He said, I'm not the best speaker. He said, so I imagine him praying, thank you, God, that when I spoke, even as flawed as it might have been, as 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 much as I wish I had done it better, Lord, that you spoke through me and those people received your word as you speaking, not me speaking. He says, thank God. And here's why we thank God. Because it is the word of God which also performs its work in you believe. The word of God performs its work in you who believe. The Word of God performs its work. That's why we call it the living Word of God. I've heard speeches. I've heard lectures. I've heard monologues in a movie. And none of them performed any other work other than portraying a message to me. But this Word is working in you like a seed is working in the ground. Isn't that cool? Do you, when you sow a seed in your garden, do you come out every few days and unfold it a little bit further and put it back? <laughs> Try to pull something out of it? No, you couldn't. You would kill it. What happens? That seed has something in it. That seed has the capacity in it to produce life. Not only to grow into something, but to reproduce itself. And that's amazing. And the word of God has that power in your life. So he says, the word of God produced faith in you. And that faith produced action. The word of God produced hope in you. And that hope produced steadfastness. The word of God produced love in you. And that love produced labor. The word of God is producing all of this in your life because you believed it. You believed it. Don't waste your time coming to church. Don't waste your time sitting here listening to me blather on if, if there's no life to be had. If there's no change that can happen. If there's no hope of something changing. If you are hoping that the preacher will convince you of something, your hope's in the wrong person. But if you put your hope in God, that God can speak, and when God speaks, something's going to change in my life. You might say, I am the most hopeless person I've ever met. I don't have a, a lick of hope, and I got a, a bunch of receipts to show you why I shouldn't hope. But you hear the word of God been, begin to produce hope in your life. God says, my, I'm giving you my hope, hope now in God. When you hear that, hope in God. I've used this example before, but when God said to Joshua, be strong and courageous. I believe when God said it to him, and the first time he said it was through Moses. God told Moses, encourage Joshua. 
And so Moses would take Joshua and he'd say, be strong and courageous. The Lord is with you wherever you go. Do not be afraid. God is with you wherever you go. Then when Moses died, God spoke to Joshua, be strong and very courageous. Do not fear for I am with you wherever you go. Isn't it awesome that God used a person? Then God used his voice to Joshua. And then when Joshua said to the people, we should go into the promised land, the people responded, be strong and courageous. And every time God said to Joshua, be strong and courageous. Every time God used Moses to say it to him. Every time he heard it. Because it's the same power whether Moses said it or he heard it in his time with the Lord or the people said it. It's still the word of God. And when God said, be strong and courageous, strength came to Joshua. Courage came to Joshua. Every time the word of God comes, every time my friend, uh, I got a friend who preaches on uh, Vancouver Island, and he said this, and it struck me, uh, you know, it never has left me. But he said, every time there's a word of prophecy, it should fill the room with courage. Because that's what the Bible says. Prophecy is for encouragement. Even when it's a warning, it'll fill you with courage. This is coming, but you're able. God's with you. Whenever the word is spoken, it's the word of God. Anytime we open this book, anytime we speak the word of God and proclaim it with power, it should fill you with courage. It fills you with whatever you're going to receive. So this is what we're saying here today. This is what he says. You had to receive what we were giving. Right? I, I mean, I know we, we use sports analogies a lot. So if you're not a sports fan, pretend you are for 30 seconds. Because it works, right? Paul used sports analogies too, so I feel like I'm okay. But you know when you have a quarterback, he throws the ball. And I've said this before, so forgive me if I'm saying it again. But you have a quarterback that throws the ball. He's not aiming for that little face ma- place between the face mask and the helmet, just hoping he wedges the ball in that helmet so the receiver doesn't have to do anything. That's not how you play the game. You need two people involved at least, right? Well, you need people blocking and all that. But, but you need somebody throwing it, and you need somebody catching it. Right? This is a team sport here, guys. I might throw some passes today, but you can't just hold up your head and go, hit me in the helmet right here. Just hit me. (laughs) I hope this word smacks me in the face. It has no power if it just smacks you in the face. You got to reach up, pull it down, grab it, hold it tight, and run with it. Somebody threw it to you. That's only part one. You got to catch it. You got to receive it. You got to get position to catch it. That's why we come to church prayed up. That's why we don't just expect the pastor to pray. I pray. I want to hear too. If I'm coming to church and there's a guest speaker, I come prayed up. God, you want to speak to me. I prepare for the sermon just like the pastor or the preacher is preparing for the sermon. So should you. We come ready. We come trained. We come expecting. And when someone throws you, get in position. Get open. Throw you the ball. You got to get that ball. Pull it down. Pull it close. Hold on tight and run with it. Because that power, that word has power in your life. And here's what he says. If we were to go to the second Thessalonians. See, I told you that would come in handy. You know where it is, right? This is the last thing I'm going to read to you here. But second Thessalonians 3 says, Finally, brethren, pray for us. That the word of the Lord would spread rapidly and be glorified, just as it did also with you. The word there, spread rapidly, my Bible says spread rapidly. Literally in the Greek, all it says is that the word would run. Pray that the word would run. 
the word would run. So what do you think in your head when you hear, when you hear the phrase, pray that the word would run? Are you picturing like Schoolhouse Rock, like Sesame Street, like a word running with legs? That's not what we're talking about. But we're talking about the word having a viral effect, a contagious effect. In fact, if you were to read, he writes here in the same, same letters we've been reading, he writes about how, first, back to 1 Thessalonians, you can read it in your own time, but he writes how the word sounded forth from you. The word sounded forth from you. So they didn't just receive the word, but they became amplifiers of the word. They were the amplifiers for the word. When I play this guitar and I strum it, how many of you heard that? You kind of heard it, right? Could you hear that well enough for us to lead praise and worship with that? It's not a lot. But when we put it through the system and we put it through an amplifier, it gets loud and it spreads. You're the amplifier for the word of the Lord. And it spreads. He says it spread throughout the whole province. And he goes, we don't even need to say anything. Everybody heard it from you. So the word ran through their community. When you believe something, you'll spread it. When you're excited about something, you'll spread it, right? When you get excited, you talk about stuff. We all know this. It doesn't take long before you find out what you're into, what excites you, because it's whatever you're talking about. When I first, you know, when I first met Tia and, and, well, beyond when we first met, and when we became a little bit more than friends, I had to hold myself back at times from talking about Tia. I was just hoping you would stumble upon the topic. <laughs> Speaking of rain, do you know where it rains? In Spokane, where Tia's from. Have I told you about Tia? Oh, I got to tell you the story of how we met. I got to tell you how God set this up. Wait, was somebody talking about hockey? Do you know who doesn't like hockey? Tia. She's not a big fan. <laughs> Let me tell you about Tia. Well, I was excited about Tia. So I want to talk about Tia. When people are excited about Jesus, they talk about Jesus. And when the word of God is doing something in your life, you can't help but talk about it. And not only do you not help but talk about it, but your life is showing it. That hope and that faith and that love is evident. That stuff that's coming out of your life, the courage, the strength, the anointing, the power, all of that's coming out of your life and people see it and go, what in the world is different about you? And you're the amplifier for the word of God. Pray that the word, the word would run. Pray that it would run. Pray that it would go viral. And we're not just talking about a YouTube video or a TikTok going viral. We're talking about that, the, that this is beginning to shift communities. It's shifting cities. It's, it's beginning to change regions because people are believing it not as a word from people, but as a word from God. So when you go back and you read 1 Corinthians 13, you go, how could I do all that? How can I have faith, hope, and love? How can I have all those qualities of love? You can have it. Because when God speaks and you believe, him speaking is him throwing the ball, you believing it, you receiving it, you saying, I'm choosing to live it. And the moment you choose to live it, you might not feel like you have the capacity for it, but when you take that step, God backs it up. And he'll, he'll keep his word, right? We'll take him at his word. And his word's going to run. Amen.